right, let's jump right into our, uh, our message today. We are back in our series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago called Parables, and we're leaning in and listening closely to the teaching of Jesus. I mean, there's no better teacher that we can have, right? I'm, I'm not even here to teach you something Jesus didn't already teach you. I'm like the tour guide today. I'm teaching you, uh, I'm going to show you what Jesus said. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to, we're in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus, if you can remember back a couple of weeks ago before Ivan, um, he just finished telling us the parable of the sower. And he talks about the different soils. And there's good soil where life grows. And he's going to continue today with this theme of soil and seed. But he's going to mix up our metaphors now, right? He's on a separate parable. So we have to kind of keep up a little bit. Last time he said, you know, there's good soil and there's growing going on. But the story isn't over there because there's actually a battle that takes place happening around you. So it's not just about, you know, you being good soil and it's just you and God and then everything's all great. There's actually an enemy involved we're going to talk about today, even for that good soil. So Jesus begins this new parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Every single, almost, yes, every single one of these parables that Jesus teaches is about the kingdom of heaven. This is the message that Jesus came to preach, okay? So if we don't get this, we're going to miss everything else he says. He's, he came to talk about this word kingdom. And, and what's so interesting is, um, I don't know Greek and Hebrew. I got to look all this stuff up, but it's really interesting. In the Greek, uh, this word kingdom is the same word that they would use for empire, right? So we think of empire as like kind of this bad word, you know, empire like the Roman Empire or the, you know, the, if you watch Star Wars, the empire is bad. Um, so the empire is bad. Kingdom, he's using the same word here. And so to, the, to his listeners who are sitting there, you know, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee right there, kingdom is kind of an aggressive word. You know, when you talk, talk talking to these Jewish people about kingdom and empire, they got nothing but bad experiences with empire, right? Egyptian empire, Babylonian empire, Assyrian empire, Seleucian empire, Greek empire, Roman empire, it's all bad. And so he's using this word that usually means in, in here in our fallen world, uh, kingdoms and when a new regime takes over, it was, especially for them, it was always violent. That was, you know, if you heard next year, we're going to have a new leader, that meant people are going to be dying between now and then. It was always violent. But he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So that was really out of place for them. Jesus doesn't establish this kingdom with a sword. He doesn't come with a billy club or a spear or a gun. He doesn't come shouting and wrestling and condemning. It's, a, it's this gentle act when Jesus brings his kingdom. He says his kingdom advances. Not, it doesn't come with an ultimatum. It comes with a story. And it's so easy. It's just it's disheartening to see how easy it is for Christians throughout the centuries to let this fact just fly right past them. It's like we hear the kingdom. If I told, I'm, and I fully understand, if I say, hey, today we're going to talk about the kingdom, you're like, we're going to talk about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, right? Instantly, you think you know everything about the kingdom. And this fact of the peaceful nature of the kingdom just slides right past us. Um, 800 years after Jesus, the emperor Charlemagne uh, brought Christianity to much of Europe at the time. 800 years after Jesus. So they thought, this is a long time after Jesus. You know, to us, that's ancient history still. But to them, 800 years. And when Charlemagne, who thought of himself as the emperor of a kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom 
throughout Europe, when he would conquer a people, he would line up the survivors of the enemy army along the banks of water, usually a river, and he would give them an ultimatum. He would say, accept Christ right now, willingly, and enter these waters as a form of baptism and become Christian, or refuse, and we will bind you, and we will drown you in these waters. It's your choice. The kingdom of God has come to you. Now, of course, we today, we read that, we just shake our heads like, what a psycho, right? How could anybody think that was possibly the kingdom of God? How does anybody think that's Christ-like? But wait, 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 wait. Let's give ourselves just a second to think back of our week, your week, my week this week, to our conversations we've had this week, to our attitude, our demeanor, our tone, not just in person, but maybe online, is our gentleness evident to all? Was your gentleness evident to all? In your conversations with people about the kingdom, I'm sure you had these conversations, right? Did you, were, were you doing it with the attitude of planting some seeds and seeing which ones grow? Or were you trying to argue that seed into the ground, right? Get it in there, right? Through coercion or force or, the, or an airtight argument. Irrefutable logic, take it! If the kingdom of Christ is not advancing nonviolently in attitude, in action, in tone, it's not the kingdom of Christ, right? It's a different kingdom. We might be doing a great job at advancing one kingdom. It's just not the kingdom of God. We might be awesome at advancing a kingdom, right? But it's a kingdom of culture, that has hijacked the name of Jesus to achieve an agenda. I'm going to say that again because that was like your tweetable moment right there. It's a kingdom of culture that has hijacked the name of Jesus to advance its agenda. Amen? You guys can make a brother feel lonely up here today. <laughs> Whew, come on now. As surely as Charlemagne or Constantine or the Spanish Inquisition or any of those crazy things... It's not Christ. And you might have a Jesus fish on your profile picture, but it's not Christ. It's actually Antichrist. Antichrist. Melissa and I were talking the other day. She said something so brilliant. She says some brilliant things every day. I'm just walking around. Oh, man. And the other morning we were just talking and sharing. She had this, I don't know if she had like a revelation or she just walks around knowing this all the time. But she said, you know what? That which is Antichrist is not like she had always kind of pictured it as being something kind of demonic, right? Raw antichrist, yeah, I'm the evil, right? But usually what is antichrist in our society is that which is demonic but has the Jesus label all over it. That is the antichrist, right? So we get, yeah, okay. Verse 25. But while everybody, oh, he's back, so, so the sower sowed, wheat. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. His enemy. So this, who's the, the sower in here we're going to find out later is Jesus. And, and by the way, we find out later that the enemy is the devil, Satan, right? Who hates God, but he can't do anything to God directly, right? That's a losing proposition. He can't hurt God. So what does he do? He messes with us, the devil messes with us. The best he can do is mess with God's image bearers. That's you. 
to express his hatred of God. And so the enemy comes and he sows some weeds among the wheat, and then he splits. By the way, it's really interesting, ancient legal writings that they've uncovered show that this actually happened. This would happen. Rival feuding farmers would sow poisonous plants into each other's fields. And the Roman government had a law against it. You can't sow poisonous plants into your neighbor's field. Wasn't that nice of them? They thought about this. So you remember, Jesus is telling stories that everybody would understand. He's telling these stories. So in verse 26, he goes on. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good wheat in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, Jesus, he replies. Now, here's what's important for us to hear in this part. To, this morning, I'm going to share four big points that I want us to take from this. Here's the first one right here. We have an enemy at work in the world. We have an enemy at work in the world, okay? Not everything that happens is by God, right? That kind of steps on some theological toes, but not everything that happens is by God. We've talked about this before. Back in our series, you remember Disarming the Dark Side? It was a couple years ago now, but it was, you go back and watch that. We talked about how there's, there are spiritual dark forces at work manipulating, distracting demonic forces, and they set themselves up against knowing God. They sow bad ideas even, right? There's just bad, they spread misinformation, false news, right? Fake news. That's, that's our real enemy, and so people are not the enemy. We say that a lot. People are not the enemy. 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 Amen. Right? And, and that's why um, in the New Testament, it, it'll, it can use aggressive language, right? We read in the New Testament, it talks about fighting a fight or armoring up like soldiers, you know? Armor up. Ooh, get that, get that sword out. But it never uses those aggressive terms against people. We are gentle, we are kind, gracious, but against the spiritual forces, against those bad ideas themselves, against spiritual dark forces, we're at war. Amen. We're at war. Um, in fact, a few, a few chapters after this, Jesus talks and addresses the fact, he gives us some guidance how to deal with people who seem to be influenced by our true enemy. You ever, you ever come across people in your daily life that seem to be influenced by the wrong idea? You just think, well, that's just wrong. They're wrong. Ah, they're, ah. Well, I got to fight them. And you want to go at it, right? But then you got all oh, that darn Pastor Scott's voice in my head saying, where people are not our enemy. What do I do? What do we do about it? Well, Jesus says over in Matthew 15, let me show you this. This is cool. Um, he says what to do when you come across people who are influenced by bad ideas. The context is there's these religious people of his day, and they, uh, they were all about expressing their religious devotion through dietary laws. And they were making sure that everybody else, you know, kept the rules of what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. And Jesus, he goes in and just kind of blows up all of their religious dogma by saying, actually, it's not about this food or that food or what you're eating and drinking. Don't worry about your religious rituals and your regulations as being like the thing that gets you on God's good side. That's not what it's about. He said, the problem is actually what's coming out of you. That's where the sin and the hostility arises. What comes out of you, that's what gets you in trouble. Not keeping certain religious rules or failing to eat the right thing, which really makes the religious leaders upset. <laughs> and, and Jesus, then he says this in verse 12. Oh, the, the disciples come to him. The disciples come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, the Pharisees were offended 
when they heard this. And that word offended, that word we've looked at before is scandalizo. It's that word, they were scandalized, they were shocked and appalled, right? That, that Jesus would say this about the religious law. And Jesus says, you know what? Every plant, so he returns to planting. Here we are, we're back to that sowing metaphor. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Lead them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So there's some weeding that are, that's going to happen here. We're going to see that in today's parable in a second. But he doesn't tell his disciples to do it. Rather, he says, here's what you do. Just leave them. Just leave them. They're blind guides and the blind leading the blind, right? He doesn't say, therefore, rail against them, condemn them, root out the heretic on your YouTube blog, right? He doesn't say that. No, no, no. He says, God's going to take care of that. God's going to take care of that. Here's what you do. When they challenge you to a mighty duel, you just move on. That doesn't come easy, does it? Does that come naturally to you or me? That's got to be supernatural. That's got to be like the Holy Spirit or something helping. Because I want to like say, oh, come on, we're going to throw down. That's what my flesh wants to do, right? That's what I did for years and years and years. Yeah, you want to go at it? Let's go at it. I got facts on my side, baby. Everybody's got the facts, right? Jesus says, my, my disciples aren't even going to get suckered into that, fact, that fight. We're just going to walk away. We're going to become more and more like Jesus. Kind of crucify the flesh. Walk away. The best thing you can do against opposition is connect with a community of faith like this. A bunch of disciples and live a beautiful life of, of learning, with a po- have a posture of learning and serving other people. You can't get more Jesus-y than that. Live your life with a posture of learning and serving other people. Okay, back to our parable. So back to Matthew 13. The owner of the field says, an enemy has done this. The servant said, do you want us to go and pull him up? You want us to go do some weeding? Keep your crop. We'll keep it pure of any of those weeds contaminating the crop. No, he says, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There's a lot packed into this. This is some interesting imagery going on here. Why wouldn't the owner want the weeds pulled up immediately? It turns out the, what Jesus referred to when he was speaking his language, and they understood exactly the, the Greek there, uh, the weeds that he refers to, it's a type of darnel or ryegrass they have in Israel. They still have it today. And it turns out it perfectly resembles wheat, especially when it's young. It's indistinguishable from each other. So you don't know what's the wheat and what's the weed. Uh, and, and so when they grow up, until they grow up, they're indistinguishable. And you, so you can't pull it up without killing some wheat along with it. And that's why Jesus says this. Here's our big point number two. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge who's wheat and who's the weed, right? Number one, you're not qualified. Number two, you're going to hurt somebody in the process. And number three, the job's already taken. Right? Just don't judge. 
don't judge. I love these servants in the story because I can relate to them. They, they really want to help. They have zeal, right? They, they're loyal to the master and they're thinking, uh, master, we'll help you. We'll help you by doing some judging and separating for you, right? We're going to make sure we tell the people who are wrong that they're wrong and the people who are right that they're right. And we're going to condemn the people to hell who we think are probably going there. And we're going to make sure that we are known by our judgment, right? We will know by our judgmentalism. They will know. Yes, that's not how the song goes. We segregate. That's what we do. We segregate. We categorize. We divide and conquer. And guys, here in the 21st century, the internet has made this easier than ever. It has made this breathlessly easy to go in and just cut people to the soul and not even have to look at their eyes while you're doing it. It makes it so easy. It's bloodless. Oh, man. We can throw a, a grenade into an online crowd and then run and never have to see the damage we caused. Right. right? But everybody knows how virtuous we were. And we wonder why the world seems so turned off by this, what Christians are selling. Don't get suckered into the fight. This is what Jesus is telling us. Don't get suckered into the fight. Don't do it. This is not the way. This is not the way. And you weren't called into this kingdom to get siloed into these little angry rooms, right? These little cham echo chambers. And by the way, the people that we, we go to and we run to to tell us truth, you know, out in the world, they're not telling you truth. They're telling you what you need to hear so you'll stay on board and keep paying their ad revenue, right? That's what they're doing. So don't fall for it. Don't do it. Be different. Be the church. Be different. Don't get sucked into cutting people out of your life because they might hold a different opinion from you, right? That's another thing. People are like, oh, I can't even deal with them anymore because they have an opinion about a carnal system that's not even the kingdom of God, right? Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't try to be the arbiter of ultimate truth. Don't. Don't judge. God will judge. Because the master says that when I, when I do the judging, and it comes so easy for me, I'm just being really honest with you. I'm not like telling you because I've solved all this. I'm so perfect. When I do the judging, what I'm going to end up doing is hurting people. I'm going to hurt people in the process. I'm going to pull up some wheat in the process. I'm going to create damage. I'm going to create confusion. And I haven't changed anybody's mind. In the process. I've just made myself feel more righteous, haven't I? Right? He says it's not your job. It's not your job. Leave it for God and all his holy angels at the end to sort it out. Amen. Amen. Verse 36. The disciples come to him. This is a little bit later. And they say, explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. We don't get it. We don't. And so the disciples here are going to get a special time of instruction just for them. And why do they get it? Because they asked. The disciples asked, right? Notice this is not in front of the crowds. Just like last week when uh, he explained the solution to the parable to them. This is a way. This is for the disciples. They lean in. They want to know. And Jesus is loving. He's patient. He knows these are the guys and girls who are going to be going on and, and, and telling everybody about my kingdom when I'm gone. So he explains to them the meeting. These last two parables, in fact, today's and two weeks ago, these are the only time in all of the Gospels that Jesus 
interprets his parables in such elaborate detail. These are very, remember, because these are the first ones. He's kind of teaching them how to have ears to hear. He's teaching them. And this is not the crowd, so he's talking to his disciples. They're back in the little house, you know, sitting around the fireplace, having some cheese and crackers. And he says, okay, here's, here's what I meant out there. And by the way, we see great value in this. And in and, and this example of the disciples, and that is this. Good disciples ask lots of questions. Good disciples ask lots of questions. Ask questions, right? I love it when we, when back when we were having home groups, you know, I miss them so bad. But the home groups, the best ones, were, were with, everybody came with answers. But whenever I came with questions, like, what about, what about, what about? Oh, those were beautiful, right? Because we all walked away having grown. We all like fed each other, right? Those, those are great. That's how we continue to learn and grow. Disciples aren't super saints. We're not the ones who have learned all the answers. We just know where to go for the answers. We know who to ask, right? And so it, it, being a disciple doesn't mean you don't have any questions, that you don't have any doubts. Dis, that's what distinguishes disciples. They ask questions. And that's why he's, he's speaking to them too. And also notice, these disciples are not following Jesus because he confirms all their suspicions. Hear me. They're not following Jesus because he agrees with everything they walked in the room thinking. That tends to be the way we like to follow talking heads or leaders or even pastors. We like somebody who kind of confirms what we kind of the way we go, right? But Jesus challenges them almost every turn. He's challenging them, and that's what grows us, right? That's what grows us. So, so that's, that's how we be a disciple. I'm, I know I am going to spend the rest of my life seeking and learning and asking questions and learning and growing, right? That's what means, it means to be a disciple. So the disciples lean in, they ask Jesus to help them understand. And he tells them, he answers, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. He's referring to himself. The field is the world. That's interesting too. Keep that in mind. The field is the world. Uh, some people read this and they immediately think of this as sort of a, a lesson about the church, that within the church, there's all this. He's talking about the world, the world world. And the good seed stands for people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. That was a bit of a left hook, for, right? Angels. Interesting. And then verse 40, he goes on, as the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So in this parable, Jesus interprets some characters. He doesn't interpret everything. Remember, these are, these are parables. These are not allegories. We have to make sure we understand. This is, not everything in a parable has an exact match. And there have been church fathers and scholars in the past that have kind of made that mistake. Like every little thing has to mean something. Like, like well, who are the, if, if the people of God are the wheat, well, who are the servants? That sounds like they, they ought to be the people of God too, right? What does it mean that they were sleeping, right? Were they sleeping on the job? Well, Jesus doesn't address that. That's not the point, right? So not all the details in a parable are hidden biblical codes. You understand? We can get in the weeds, no pun intended, if, <laughs> if we go down that track. Um, in fact, in a parable, the way, the way parables worked for other rabbis, but for Jesus especially, most of the parable is kind of window dressing. He's painting a picture of a lifelike story that they would have understood, right? And usually in a parable, there's one big idea, and he wants you to get that one big idea. 
It has one point. The rest is just kind of like decoration. So, uh, let's see. So that's, that's parable. We've talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago, too. This parables, parables are very enigmatic. They are interesting. And, and in some cases, they were meant to confound, right? We, I, I grew up thinking parables were there to help you understand stuff better. But sometimes they were meant to confound the audience to see who really wanted to lean in. Who really wanted to understand, right? So Jesus is, he's, he's trying to give you a glimpse of this kingdom that is hard for us to understand. Jesus is like Mr. Miyagi, right? He's teaching you kung fu by having you paint a fence. Like, why am I doing this? What does that have to do with it? Um, for example, here's some other surprising details in this parable. Uh, some of us in the church, we, we have this idea of the end times where we imagine that God is going to pull us out of the world, that the people of God will get pulled out of the world into heaven. And then he's going to destroy the world with fire right? But the image here is actually kind of the opposite. It's strange. Uh, it, this here, the world is, the world is where the kingdom is happening. The kingdom's happening in this field, in the world, right? And, and it's not happening up in heaven. And the ones who get evacuated aren't the righteous. It's, it's the weeds. It's the unrighteous. So that's, that's kind of messes with us, right? And then the world uh, exists as this purified kingdom. It's kind of, it sounds a lot like Jesus' prayer and the, the Lord's prayer that he taught us in over in Matthew chapter 5, when he said, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. Amen? God invade this planet, make this planet the home that you always intended it to be. And at the end of this parable, he weeds out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and those who do evil. He weeds out of the field. In verse 42, he says, they will, that he's talking about his angels here, his angels will throw them into a blazing furnace a blazing furnace, and the word he uses there is a kaminos, it's a kiln or an oven. So, so we still, there's something here in his interpretation, we still got to do some interpretation. You know what I mean? That's so Jesus. <laughs> and there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what this is, is a vivid image of judgment. This is a vivid image, right? There's fire, there's regret, there's grief. There's different schools of thought among Christian scholars as to what exactly Jesus means in a literal sense. Uh, is this a reference to a place of torment? Um, or is this everlasting? He doesn't mention if it's everlasting or not. Or is this sort of a burning up entirely that kind of would go along with like the doctrine of annihilation? Um, or is this sort of like a, a purifying? Is this something where things, it feels like torment, but it leads to like a purifying. It would be kind of like the Catholic doctrine of purgatory uh, you might have heard of. Whatever Jesus is referring to here, it's fascinating that in his interpretation of the parable, where we would expect him to be very plain and simple and super literal, he's still using metaphorical language, right? His angels are weeding out the kingdom, right? Weeding, weeding, right? They don't have hoes and shovels, but they're weeding out the kingdom here. They're causing, they're throwing things into this, this furnace, this kiln or this oven, right? Some of the church scholars in history uh, believe that even in the field, what he's talking about with the wheat and the weeds, that it's referring more to fruit and ideas among people. And then in the end, that God will go through and, and weed out what was lies and what was truth, and, and that will get tossed, and we'll finally be, we'll all know what was the truth. That was um, Martin Luther um, stood for that interpretation. Whatever reason, Jesus doesn't go into any more detail here. He just doesn't. He refuses as usual, to say, here's your truth box, 
Everything's all nice and simple. No more mystery. You're welcome. It just doesn't do it, right? There's no, nothing's nice and neat. What is, uh, what there is no argument about here is that there is judgment. This is a picture of judgment on that. We can agree. But are you starting to see why Jesus talked in parables, right? This, because he's saying, listen, this thing I'm, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you. There's barely words to describe this thing. It's like this. It's kind of like this. It's like this, but like not so much like this, but a little bit like this and like this, right? And no words are ever going to adequately fulfill what what it really is. And, And folks, this is a word for me. This is a word for us, right? This is a word for us today. If you understand everything there is to know about God, then you're not even talking about God anymore, right? If you understand all there is to know about God, you don't, you're, you're not talking about God. That's what keeps me humble, I'm telling you what. So, after explaining the parable of the weeds, Jesus says this, Then the righteous will shine like the sun, shine like the sun. They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He uses language here that's from the book of Daniel. And he's borrowing from this very Jewish longing for justice. This idea that in, there, there will be, the righteous will shine. The God will, he will make things right. He will bring justice in the end. Shining like the sun. Guys, if you want to know your true identity, if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to know your true identity, who God sees you as, it's this, as the righteous. Shining like the sun, like a child of God. You were not what you were in your past. Isn't that good news? Oh, that's good news for me. You're not what you were. You were not the things that were done to you or the circumstances that you grew up with. God sees you. God sees you as the person you're becoming. Shining like the sun, the righteous. This is who we are. This is who we are. The only thing about your past that matters is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus event. That's it. Otherwise, your past doesn't define you. We are actually something more than what we were. We're even more than what we look like right now, right? In the words of the great theologian of long ago and far, far away. (laughs) Luminous beings are we. (laughs) Not this crude matter. Thank you. That was my best Yoda. Thank you. See, currently we're in a world where this world holds us back from manifesting perfectly our true selves. Every day we want to become more and more like Jesus. We want that kind of fruit. We want to look more and more like Jesus, act, speak, behave more and more like Jesus. But, but this world holds us back from manifesting who you really are, right? But we can make different decisions we can start making different decisions. The Apostle John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be. So what we are now, right, is not the fullness of who we really are becoming. But we know, at least this much, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And as he is, we shall be. Amen? As he is, we shall be. That's John's way of talking about this becoming, this this shining like the sun, looking like Jesus. 
ask God to help you see yourself the way you really are. You can ask him to help you see yourself that way, to have that identity. If you want to dig further into this too, at the very beginning of this year, we started a series called 2020, the beginning of this crazy year that was all about your identity, how God sees you. So you might go back and check that out if, if that's something that you feel like I, I could use some more of that. Well, Jesus finishes this little private time of instruction with his disciples, and he finishes it by repeating that mysterious phrase that he said last time, whoever has ears, let him hear. Those who are willing to work, to understand, remember that word suniami, to get those pieces and put them together, construct them, put them together, do some work, lean in, do some wrestling, some puzzle building. Those are the ones who are going to get this message of the kingdom and run with it. Can I, I just want to make a super important side point here, if I may. If you take a look at this parable today and you look at it like hyper-literally, it would be easy to come away with thinking, hmm, it kind of sounds like Jesus says, uh, like Jesus plants some seeds that are just wonderful, tasty wheat from birth. Like you just grew up wheat. And some people are planted by the devil. They're just destined to be weeds, right? Stinks to be them, right? You could take this very deterministically. Those, those children of Satan, they're just fixed in their identity. They're just weeds. If you don't know how to read the, the parables of Jesus, as you guys do, you guys do now, but if you don't know how, you can miss the point in a really bad way and come away with some pretty sick theology. Am I right? But if we look at the broader teaching of Jesus, just like we did last time with the parable of the soil, remember he talks about the good soil and there's rocky soil and thorny soil and all this kind of stuff. But just like we saw there, even people who are currently in one, we would say category, one status of being rocky ground or thorny ground, but they can be in the process of becoming good soil, right? And so when it comes to who's wheat and who's the weeds, however you see yourself right now, just keep growing in community with other people. Let's keep growing in community with each other. Because the good news is there's always a chance for weeds to become wheat. There's always a chance. And the truth is, we were all weeds, right? All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We all needed the saving power of Jesus. None of us were born saved, right? All of us are in the field. Remember, which is the world? So we grow alongside each other. You and your neighbor are growing alongside each other. Wheat and weeds together. Some of us are wheat, and some of us are wheat who act like a weed on our worst days. Can we just admit that? Thank goodness for his grace. Thank goodness we go to God, we repent, we thank him for his grace and his redemptive work. Thank thank him for helping to continually make us who he wants us to be turning us more into more and more like Jesus. And while we're at it, we pray and we hope and we influence other people. We try to influence, right? We're influencing other people. Jesus says to let them see your good deeds, right? So they will end up glorifying your Father in heaven. Let them see your good deeds so they'll end up glorifying your Father in heaven. But the truth is we all start out as weeds in need of grace, in need of transformation. Amen? And so, my friends, have you found yourself 
surrounded by hardships or by sins that just threaten to choke the life out of you sometimes. Some days, you just even wonder if you can go on. You feel like you can't do this anymore. I would just tell you, take a moment right now to just trust that God knows what he's doing. God, why aren't you removing all these weeds around me? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you uprooting all the rocks? God knows what he's doing. Just trust him. And even when the enemy attacks you, God is going to sort it out. He's going to sort out the truth. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. Your father in heaven, he's not going to misplace you. He's not going to mistake you for rubbish and throw you away. He's not, he's not going to mistake you for a weed. Or maybe you're sitting here right now and you're feeling a lot more like a weed than someone who is worthy of God's nurturing and his love. And you're like, yeah, most times I just feel like the weed. Well, good news is Jesus is patient. He is the gentle farmer. He is not coming at you with a sickle ready to cut you out because you haven't been perfected yet. He loves you. He loves you. And he's not going to uproot you. He's not going to toss you aside while you're still in that process of becoming who he wants you to be. So trust in his mercy right now, if that's you. Or are you one of us who continually fight this urging to be the sickle of God? To do God's judging for him. If that's you, spend a few moments right now just releasing your entitlement to judging. Just let it go. Knowing it's not your job. Trust God as the judge of all. Just let him speak to you right now. Let him speak to you where you are right now at this time. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we repent of all those times, all those tendencies, Lord, that we have to, to sit in your seat of judgment. We repent of the attitudes that we sometimes take into our conversations, into relationships, people at work or at school or online or in person, where we, we played that role of the judge. We repent, Lord, we repent. Father, rescue us from our insecurity, from our defensiveness. May we find our life only in you, Lord. May we trust you to be the judge that we don't have to be. May our gentleness, Lord, as, as the church, may it be evident to all. May we become the loving people, Lord God, that you have called us to be. May we receive your grace and impart it to other people just as easily. Receive your mercy and, and impart that mercy to other people just as easily, Lord. Your transforming power. Lord, you have adopted us into your kingdom. We started off as weeds, but you have adopted us, Lord. You've made us family. We no longer belong to the enemy. We've switched fathers. We are the children of God. In your name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Today, today, uh, if you would like us to agree with you about anything going on in your life, any, anything that we can pray for you about, our prayer team is ready to be praying with you. Send in those prayer requests, whatever it is. Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. You can, send, you can even put them in the offering boxes. You want to write it down. There's the mobile app. You can do it online um, using the G Church app. You can email us at prayer at gchurch.net. Um, and if you would like one-on-one prayer today, someone full of faith to stand there with you and believe with you and pray an amazing prayer of faith with you, dad's going to be up here at the front right here and you could come come up and uh, encounter that and we believe it's not the same when you pray we believe prayer prayer matters it's not just a little exercise we do prayer matters when we pray in faith amen mountains tremble hallelujah would you stand to your feet this morning i'm going to offer you a, a benediction for us I'm going to change things up a little bit, all right? I've been sharing this blessing, you know, from Numbers chapter chapter 6 uh, for quite a while now. Today, I'm going to do things a little different. I'm going to put it on the screen just so you see it. Here it is. This is out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, all right? Here we go. May the God who is able to do far beyond all that we can ask or imagine by his power at work in us, it's working in you, by that power, may he be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and all generations church. Amen? Forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Love you guys. Bye-bye.